ಕಥಾಮೀವನ ಕವಿರೀರಿತ ಕಲ್ಮಶಾಪಹಂ ಶ್ರವಣಮಂಗಲ ಶ್ರೀಮದುವಿ ಗೃಹಂತಿ so we will continue with master's conversation with kishab chandras shane it's on the boat where sri ramakrishna was traveling with keshav and other brahmo devotees and in the last class we saw that the conversation has already started and we will continue with the conversation which follows after the discussion which we had in the previous class the master do you know how a lover of god feels his attitude is oh god thou art the master and i am thy servant thou art the mother and i am thy child or again thou art my father and mother thou art the whole and i am a part he doesn't like to say i am brahman so we will find that this each and every word of sri ramakrishna is actually speaking of the profound vedantic philosophy behind it that brahman the absolute when finds expression as the universe then there is a ruler and there is the one who is ruled the one who is above the maya is the maya adhish and the jeevas the ordinary jeevas they are maya adhin so when brahman finds expression as the universe then there is the lord and again there is the one who is under the domain of maya he has been ruled by the one who is maya dhish so in our scriptures they say that god is the collective aspect of this creation that the, all the vyashti when uh, finds expression as the samashti that's the god the god is the samashti and each and every jeeva is the vyashti so even in our day to day life we will find that it is the samashti which rules over the vyashti it is the collective aspect of our existence which always rules over the individual aspect of our existence so here that's why when the creation comes into picture god is the master we are the servant he is the father he is the mother he is the whole and we are the part 
So just to understand that how there is collective is God and the individual is the soul. And it is the collective that always rules over the individual. Even in our day-to-day -day life, let us take the example of the traffic lights. So now, what is our individual goal as for the VHT is concerned, as for the individual is concerned, that we want to reach our destination as early as possible. So that's our goal. That's the goal of the individual. But now that's the goal of everyone. Each and every individual who are on the roads wants to reach their destination as early as possible. So we know that if everyone tries to reach their destination as early as possible, there will be a chaos. At all the junctions, there will be a chaos because everyone is trying to overtake the others. And we will find that the, the entire traffic has come, come to a stagnation. So for that, what's the way out? So there's a samashti aspect. There are the traffic lights, which sometimes allows me to move ahead. And sometimes it asks me to stop so that the others can move ahead. So that way we find all get the equal chance. Sometimes I am deprived, sometimes I get the advantage. So that's the samashti aspect. So you will find it is the samashti who rules over the vyashti. That the collective uh, aspect is always ruling over the individual aspect. It's not only that it is a man-made rule. Even you will find there are some wonderful uh, examples even in the creation which is spontaneous. Very interesting that we have no hand over the choice as a human being. When the parents are having their children, there is no choice whether it is going to be a boy or it is going to be a girl. It's just a matter of chance that if anyone wants a boy, it is not assured that he's going to have a boy. If anyone wants a girl, it is not assured that he wants he or she, the parents are going to have a girl. It's a matter of chance. But if you see the samashti aspect, in the entire creation, if you don't disturb the nature, if you allow the nature to work by itself, a wonderful thing that no one is planning as such, but the ratio of the male and female, unless we are disturbing it, is almost equal. This, this is one example. We will find that the samashti is ruling over the vyashti. That whether I want a parent, want a boy or a girl, that decision is taken by the samashti aspect. It's not that the parents, as they desire that, that they should have a boy or a girl, that they're going to get it. There's a samashti aspect which is taking care. There's a wonderful balance we will find. So now you will find that when the master is saying that in the devotional scripture, they say that the samashti aspect, the God, which is the whole, he is ruling over the part. The Brahman finds expression as the ruler and the ruled, as the mayadhish, as the mayadhin, as the Ishwara, as the jiva. Ishwara is the collective aspect, 
Jiva is the individual aspect. And it is a collective aspect where it is, which is always ruling over the individual aspect. In our all phenomenal existence, whether it is planned by the human, whenever there's a samashti that has to be planned by the human in our society, or where the mother nature is left free to work by itself, you will find samashti is ruling over the vyashti. And that's why this is the same thing which has been spoken of here, that, oh Lord, you are the whole, I am the part. And naturally, you are the master, I am the servant. You are the creator, that's why you are the mother, you are the father, thou the whole, I am the part. So he doesn't like to say, I am Brahman. So the devotee always want to maintain that distinction between the Ishwara and the individual and the Jiva. He wants to enjoy the bliss of communion. He doesn't want to become one with Brahman. As Sri Ramakrishna in some other place has mentioned that I don't want to be sugar. I want to taste the sugar. If you become the sugar, what's the joy in becoming the sugar? You have identified with it. But when you're tasting the sugar, you're different from the sugar, then comes the question of bliss. So, oh Lord, yes, though essentially uh, we are the same conscious principle which is finding expression as God. That's being indicated in the Vedantic dic the dictum, Tattvamasi, that I am not, uh, that I am never one with God, but the conscious principle which is the essence of God is the same conscious principle which is the essence of me. So that way I am one with the absolute, <clears throat> one with Ishwara. But as per the manifestation, he is the whole and the part. He is the ruler and the ruled. He is the master and the servant. <clears throat> so that is being expressed by the master in his conversation. When he's saying, do you know how a lover of God feels? His attitude is, oh God, thou art the master and I am the servant, thou art the mother, I am the child, or again, thou art my father and mother, thou art the whole, and I am a part. Part, he doesn't like to say, I am Brahman. The yogi seeks to realize the Paramatman, the supreme soul. He withdraws his mind from sense objects and tries to concentrate it on the Paramatman. Therefore, during the first stage of his spiritual discipline, he retires into solitude and with undivided attention, practices meditation in a fixed posture. So that's the yogi, the devotee wants to commune with the divine and to enjoy the bliss of that communion. And the yogi wants to realize the essence of his being, the Supreme Soul, that constantly we are getting identified with our mind, with our senses. He wants to disidentify from his mind and from his senses and try to concentrate on the essence of his being. And through this process of meditation, through this process of concentration, he wants to attain the same goal. Why the goal is same? As per the endeavor is concerned, one is wanting to enjoy the bliss. One is want to, one is wanting to have the communion with the Paramatman. What is the common factor in both? Both want to decide, identify 
from their limited psychophysical existence. Whether it is through communion, by enjoying the bliss of communion with the divine or by focusing on the essence of your being and trying to disidentify from the body-mind complex, whatever we are doing, the essence of the essence of all the practice, the practice may be varied as per our temperament, but the basic thing is to disidentify ourselves from our psychophysical existence, which is limited, which is a flow. As long as we are identified with that, we are bound to suffer. So that's the thing which is common, whether it's a yogi or it's a bhakta. But the reality is one and the same. The difference is only in name. He who is Brahman is verily Atman. And again, he is the Bhagavan. He is the Brahman to the followers of the path of knowledge, Paramatman to the yogis, and Bhagavan to the lovers of God. So let us try to understand with the allegory which we tried to bring into the discussion in the last class also, that if sun is the Brahman, then the raindrops, that we know that when uh, the rain is there, when the sunlight is there and it's raining, that sometimes it so happens that the sky, the cloud is not there. It means the cloud is there, but the sunlight is visible. The cloud is not obscuring the sun. So the sunlight is visible and the raindrops are falling. And that's the time we find the rainbow in the sky. So in the last class, we took this example to explain the aspect which is being, finds expression as Brahman, the aspect which finds expression as the Atman and the aspect which finds expression as God, Bhagavan. So what are these three? So the sun is like Brahman. When it falls, when it sun is reflected on each and every raindrops, the each and every raindrop is like the jiva, the psychophysical existence, each and every raindrop. When the sunlight falls in each and every raindrop, the sun is being reflected in each and every raindrop. That reflection of the sun in each and every raindrop is the jiva, is the individual soul. And this each and every raindrop again is refracting the sun rays to form the spectrum, the collective aspect in the form of rainbow. We will find now, once the rainbow is formed, now interesting thing, we will find that as long as the raindrops are falling, the sun appears to be constant as fixed in the sky. The rainbow also appears to be fixed. It's not moving. It has taken a particular shape in the sky. It, there is no movement in it. There is no movement in the sun. What is moving is the raindrops. So there is a flow. There is in this constant flow, when something which is permanent gets reflected, it appears as something which is not changing, which is also as if permanent. The rainbow appears as if permanent. What happens when the absolute gets reflected in the flow, in the jivas, in the flow? The jivas are constantly in the state of flux. So our minds are changing, our body is changing on that. Behind that, the absolute is there. When that absolute gets reflected through this flow, 
the the collective aspect of it appears to be again changeless and that's the thing which we call as god the rainbow is as if the god the reflection of sun in each and every raindrop is the atman and the sun is the brahman now when raindrops are not there the rainbow is not there but the sun is so when the creation is not there the question of god and the creator the jiva doesn't exist but brahman exists through eternity so that's one thing so but now as per our temperament we try to identify as our spiritual practice with three things the gyani tries to identify with the sun itself the yogi tries to identify with the reflection of the sun in each and every drop raindrop that illumination in the form of reflection it wants to identify with that and the bhakta wants to bhakta is the lover he wants to enjoy the beauty of creation and that's the thing he wants to enjoy the collective aspect the rainbow in all the three cases what's the common factor that none of the three is identifying themselves with the raindrop so all the enter that enter spiritual journey is that alone that when someone asks ramakrishna ami mukto hobo kobe when shall i be free his answer was when i cease to be ami jabe jabe ami mukto hobo kobe ami jabe jabe when shall i be free when i that i is within the inverted commas i cease to be it is this i which is the cause of bondage this idea of limited individuality as long as i feel i am the raindrop i am within the domain of maya i have to i am bound to suffer because the raindrop is so ephemeral if i, I, I identify myself with the raindrop i find my existence is constantly being as if in peril it is that i am born i i age i die but the moment i identify myself with something which is apart from this ephemeral existence maybe it's in the form of the brahman the sun or the reflection in the raindrop that also is the same illumination of this as the sun or as the in or i am trying to identify myself with the rainbow in all the three cases i am trying to disidentify myself from the raindrop that's my psychophysical existence and that's what is being the related to the notion of i this limited ego so in any way i can get rid of it that entails in liberation so we will find that what sri ramakrishna is saying is something wonderful that the reality is one and the same the difference is only in the name he is he who is brahman is verily atman it is the same sun which is the finding the same illumination which is finding expression as the reflection and again it is refracted as the rainbow as a collective aspect of this reflection is the rainbow it is the same illumination so it is the same brahman which is the verily the atman and again he is the bhagwan he is brahman to the followers 
of the path of knowledge, Paramatman to the yogis and Bhagavan to the lovers of God. So as per our temperament, we may try to identify with the this absolute reality in three different ways, but all the three serve the same purpose. They all the three helps us to get rid of our limited individuality, to annihilate our this idea of this limited psychophysical existence. So that's the thing Mr. Ramakrishna is indicating by his words. The steamer has been going toward Calcutta, but the passengers with their eyes fixed on the master and the ears given to his nectar-like words were oblivious of its motion. Dakshineshwar, with its temples and gardens, was left behind. The paddles of the boat churned the waters of the Ganges with a murmuring sound. But the devotees were indifferent to all this. Spellbound, they looked on a great yogi, his face lighted with a divine smile, his countenance radiating love, his eyes sparkling with joy, a man who had renounced all for God and who knew nothing but God. Unceasing words of wisdom flowed from his lips. So whenever we find such discussion in the gospel, it's not something which is meaningless. We will say that the, what happened in the past, he's just relating the background. Uh, it has nothing, it has no spiritual significance as such. So we will do a big mistake thinking that way. Actually, when I'm reading the gospel, it helps us to be in the presence of the master. The background helps us. Just when we are reading this, if we try to contemplate this way, that though these words as such doesn't speak of any spiritual uh, significance, but it helps us to do Leela Dhyanam. The divine, when he incarnates, he sports with his devotees. Why not try to just contemplate on the fact that as if I am also one sitting in the boat Ramakrishna is conversing. His face is full of smile, the divine smile. His countenance is radiating love. His eyes is sparkling with joy. I'm just in his presence, listening to him while the boat is just floating, was just, is just, is crossing, is just flowing over the stream of the, over the, over the Ganges and the cool breeze is blowing. So this entire thing helps us to contemplate, to be in, as if in presence of Ramakrishna. So this, that's the description which we'll find. That's why the master have given a very, very intricate, uh, very, very detailed discussion of the background throughout the gospel. Uh, we will find it is interspersed with such description. The master, again, the words of the master, the unceasing words of wisdom started flowing from his lips. What the master said, the jnanis who adhere to the non-dualistic philosophy of Vedanta say that the acts of creation, preservation and destruction, the universe itself and all its living beings are the manifestations of Shakti, the divine power known as Maya in the Vedanta philosophy. If you reason it out, you will realize that all these are as illusory as a dream. 
Brahman alone is the reality and all else is unreal. Even this very Shakti is unsubstantial, like a dream. So when he was speaking that the, of the creation, that when the Brahman finds expression as creation, we may think that it is Parinama, it's a transformation, as if God has became the universe, just the way milk becomes yogurt. So that way we will be doing a mistake. There is no change in God. If God changes, he also becomes perishable, just like us. There cannot be any transformation in the ultimate reality. So then this creation, when we say God's, there's a, there's, it is the God's creation, from God this creation came. And at the same time, we say that there is no change in God. Then how can we explain the fact of creation? So there in Vedanta, they say it is not Parinama, it is Adhyasa. But it's something which is unchanged, but it is appearing as something else because of Maya, because of this delusion. Just the way when I'm passing through the desert, I see the mirage, something appears as a huge reservoir. I'm thirsty. I run towards it to realize that it was a mirage. So the desert is the substratum in which that mirage is projected. It's not there. The desert has not changed into reservoir. The desert remains as desert, but it appears because of ignorance as that huge reservoir. The same thing happens when in the twilight hours, I'm passing through the road and there's a rope lying because of insufficient light, I see it as a snake. The snake is not there. It was not there. It will, not, will be not there. It is not there at the present. But because of ignorance, at certain point of time, because of ignorance, this rope, which has not changed, appears as snake. And when someone brings the light, focuses on it and say, see, it is just a rope. And then my ignorance vanishes. It still continues to be the rope. It has never changed. So the creation is this like adhyasa. So it's just like when I go to sleep and then I start dreaming. In the dream, so many things happens. I get nightmare, I shout, I scream, or sometimes I'm in extreme joy. And when I come back, when I get up, I find I am the same person. This dream was something which was just the projection of my mind. So this dream which we have the weight is a projection of the mind. Similarly, the entire creation is the projection. When the Brahman finds expression as the cosmic mind, this creation is a projection of that cosmic mind. So it is also like that dream. So when that, what is actually the dream? That whose reality is negated when one wakes up. Similarly, for a person of spiritual realization, the entire existence, the entire cosmos is negated on the attainment of the Nirvikalpa Samadhi. When you go to that state of Nirvikalpa Samadhi, the creation is not there. You become one with the absolute. You become one with that non-local consciousness. Again, when you come back to your body, mind, senses, you see the universe. And then you feel that it is a working of the mind and the senses, which makes the absolute appear as this world of name and form. So when we are wearing the taint glass, 
of mind and senses. The mind and senses are like the taint glass, which taints our vision. And we see something which actually is not. So it is like a dream. When we go to the state of Nirvikalpa Samadhi, the entire creation falls off. It makes me identified with the absolute non-local consciousness. And then I find that I'm identified with that. It is just because the consciousness gets reflected through the body-mind senses, then this creation comes into existence. So there is a wonderful poem of Tagore, the song, the Tomai Amai Milan Hole Shakuli Jai Khule Bisho Shagur Uthe Takhundule. Means the entire creation starts vibrating when, when there is a communion between you and me. What is this you and me? This me is this psychophysical existence with which I am identified. When that psychophysical existence is in communion with the absolute, then this creation as if opens up. The entire creation as starts vibrating. So it's just the projection of the mind and the senses. When that mind and senses is getting, is getting associated with that absolute uh, reality. So, so that's why he's saying that's Ramakrishna. Again, we read the word the jnanis who adhere to the non-dualistic philosophy of Vedanta say that the acts of creation, preservation, and destruction, the universe is itself and all its living beings are the manifestations of Shakti, the divine power, known as Maya in the Vedanta philosophy. If you reason it out, you will realize that all these are as illusory as a dream. Brahman alone is the reality and all else is unreal. Even this very Shakti is unsubstantial like a dream. But though you reason all your life, so here comes the most important uh, aspect of our spiritual journey. A spiritual journey, we think, is just an intellectual confirmation, intellectual understanding of this idea that I am not this body-mind complex, I am the Atman, I am the Brahman. So we may go on cogitating on the fact, on this dictum, but if this doesn't take us to the realization that if we have not really gone beyond our mind and senses, to have realized our identity with that non-dual existence, know it for certain, it in no way can help us to go beyond the jurisdiction of Shakti. We still are within, will be within the throngs of the dualities of the existence in the form of pain and pleasure, suffering and joy. It will be there. So it, once, if once we go to the realization, then that falls off. But till we go to the realization, however we may go on reasoning, it's not going to help us spiritually. So, but though you reason, that's why Sri Ramakrishna is saying, but though you reason all your life, unless you're established in Samadhi, you cannot go beyond this jurisdiction of Shakti. Even when you say, I am meditating or I am contemplating, still you are moving in the realm of Shakti within its power. So when I am meditating, when I say I am meditating, 
then there is there are three uh, aspects are there that i am the meditator there is an object of meditation and the process of meditation which is connecting the meditator with the object of meditation so this is called triputi so there is a distinction that you have not become identified with the absolute there is something i i am saying though when i say i am brahman brahman is something as if apart from i this constant contemplation with this constant contemplation i am trying to get identified with something which i am not so that's why sri ramakrishna says when you say that i am meditating i am contemplating still you are moving in the realm of shakti when i just go on cogitating on the fact that i am brahman i am brahman it creates a brahmakara vritti is thought that i am brahman i am brahman when your mind gets extremely focused on that thought everything else falls off you are trying to hold into that one thought if you can really do that a time comes when that thought also falls off why it falls off to give a very common example that in this world everything is flowing that's why this world is called sansara samsarate it is everything is flowing samsarate it flows our body is changing we were young we are getting old our mind is constantly fluctuating jumping from thought to thought the mind is mind as long as it is flowing it is jumping from thought to thought so if there is no polarity then this flow is bound to stop you will find in this life that that everything is flowing and why that flow is there because there is a polarity water flows from higher level to lower level if both the levels are same the flow will stop there is no flow the current flows electricity flows when there is a difference in potential if both the ends have same potential no current similarly the mind is mind as long it is jumping from thought to thought if by meditation though the meditation at the beginning there is a three distinct uh, aspects meditator the object of meditation and the process of meditation but when i get just fixed in that one thought previously my mind was just thinking a b c d i have made a a a a whatever i may be meditating some may say that uh, that that i am more illumined because i know i am brahman the devotee is bit uh, more in ignorance because he is meditating on something uh, which he thinks is separate from him so i am more advanced but know it for certain these are all notions these notions in no way speak of realization realization when it comes when somehow whether being a devotee or being a gyani or being a yogi i have been able to keep my mind in one thought whether the thought is of brahman whether the thought is of atman or whether the thought is of bhagwan when you can keep the mind in one thought then what happens as we told when the polarity is resolved the flow stops same thing happens with the mind the mind is mind as long as it can jump from thought to thought 
when you can keep the mind in one thought without any gap, even what happens is that there's a difference between dhyana, dharana and samadhi. What is dhyana? When I can keep my mind in one thought, I think my mind is in one thought. But thoughts are like bits. It rises, it falls, it rises, it falls. So there's a gap between two thoughts. So though you have got rid of the distraction, that gap is there. there the frequency is less. You will find that in uh, modern digital these photos, the, the, uh, the concept of resolution is there. We say the photo looks to be very, very bright and prominent if its resolution is high. What is resolution? It is DPI, dots per inch. So actually all these digital photos are made of dots. If the dots per inch is less, you will find the photo appears to be broken. You can see the dots. But if the dots are very intense, they as if form a continuous line and the photo appears to be of high resolution. The same thing happens in meditation. First, I get rid of the distractions. I keep my mind in one thought. Many may say that I have kept my mind in one thought, but it doesn't take me to the Samadhi. You are saying that the mind is supposed to fall off as long when there's only one thought. We forget that each and every thought is rising and falling. And I am yet to get adept to increase the frequency of this interval of thoughts. The more, therefore, this dharana, that's why becomes dhyana. Dharana is when, I, when I'm able to keep my mind in one thought, but the frequency of the thought waves are still less. With more intense practice, this, this just like the DPI increases here also, your the thought waves frequency increases. And it becomes like a constant flow. And the moment it happens at some point, at certain point of time, when it has really become intense, the mind suddenly is bound to stop because the polarity has been resolved. His mind cannot jump from one thought to another thought. There is no gap between one thought and another thought. The polarity has been resolved. The mind becomes thoughtless. That's the second sutra of the Yoga Sutra. Yoga Chitta Vritti Nirodha. The mind has stopped. The moment the mind has stopped, what happens? As long as the sun was falling on the prism, it was breaking into the spectrum of this seven colors. You remove the prism, the spectrum is gone. It merges with the sun, it merges with the white light. The same thing happens when whatever you may be meditating on, when you reach that ekavritti, that's saying whether it is ishtavritti or it is brahmakara vritti, whatever it may be. The moment it happens, there's a triputi bheda, dhyana, dhyata, dhyaya. This idea that I am meditating, that falls off. You become one with the object of meditation. The mind has, for the time being, fallen off. So there is no projection. Just the way it happens in the movie theater, that you are watching the movie because there's a projection through the projector, the light is being projected and it is creating this panorama that scenes after scenes. And when the projection stops the projector, uh, that the light is no more falling on the projector, then I see the screen, all the projection has stopped. And then I realize that actually is the screen, everything else was a projection. After that, again, if 
the movie starts after the interval. Now I am no more deluded. I know what's the screen, what's the background behind. The same thing happens in the process of meditation. As long as I'm having the idea, I am meditating, I am contemplating, still that triad is there. The triad falls off, collapses, Triputi Bheda. When your meditation becomes intense, whatever may be the object of meditation, whether you say I am Brahman or you say I am a devotee of God, then only you go beyond the jurisdiction of Shakti. Just for the time being, the panorama has fallen off. And then once you realize you are not going to be deluded anymore, after meditation, again you may, when you go to that Samadhi, and after that you come back to this world again, you are a totally changed person. That's why Swamiji used to say that many confuse deep sleep with Samadhi. We jokingly said it is Kumbhakarna Darshanam. Then Kumbhakarna would have been a realized soul. If uh, deep sleep is Samadhi, to make a distinction, Swami Vivekananda in one line, very nicely he has given a distinction between deep sleep and Samadhi. What he's saying, a fool goes into the deep sleep, comes back as a fool. A fool goes into Samadhi, comes back as a realized soul. He's totally transformed. How to explain the transformation? That Swami Vivekananda explains that as a Parivrajak, as a wandering monk, he was passing through the desert, he was thirsty, he was in search of water, suddenly he saw a huge reservoir and he was drawn towards it as he was thirsty. And then suddenly, when the, the mirage was no more seen, after he started proceeding, suddenly it vanished. Then the thought came that from my childhood, I have studied about mirage. It was an intellectual knowledge. I thought I knew, but I never realized what it is. Today, for the first time, I realized what's the difference. Next day, when again I'm passing through the desert, maybe again I'm thirsty. But as I'm in my mind and senses, again I do see that reservoir. Again, I, I am, have that vision of that mirage. But today there's a great difference. I know it is a projection. Yesterday it dragged me. Today it cannot drag me. So it has lost the power to trap me. So that's why now you will understand what Sri Ramakrishna says that just by mere reasoning, we can never go to that spiritual equipoise where all the happenings of life has no hold over me. It only happens after realization. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying. But though you reason all your life, unless you're established in Samadhi, and that you can be established either by being a Bhakta, by being a Yogi, or by being a Jnani. The goal, the aim is to somehow get established in that Samadhi. Unless you have gone there, you cannot go beyond the jurisdiction of Shakti. Even when you say I am meditating or I am contemplating, still you are moving in the realm of Shakti within its power. This is a simple two, three lines. But how profound if you really think that's why gospel has to be contemplated. There is so much meaning between the lines. It actually brings out the entire philosophy. This simple. That's why there's sometimes the gospel's words appears to be so simple that we miss the point. 
actually is a profound the entire vedic the vedantic philosophy can be extracted just from this few lines what he is saying so that for most of us we are ativada this this idea of this there in the mundaka upanishad that he realized soul is a nativadi ativada what is ativada means that when my speech transcends my realization i have i haven't realized something but i'm just speaking i'm just babbling that is ativada ati means to transcend vada means speech when my speech transcends my realization so a realized soul is a nativadi what he speaks he has realized for him there is no question of again falling back in ignorance before that however we may reason however we may be proud of the fact that i am uh, meditating i am reg- regularly contemplating know it for certain we are still within the domain of maya that swami vivekananda tells the story of the stag we we relate it again and again that a male deer that it was bragging of its strength by seeing the reflection of its muscles by seeing the muscular limbs in the water the stag was bragging see how strong i am the young one the fawn was just by its side it was bragging and suddenly it heard the barking of a dog and it started running frantically running the fawn also ran after the stag after a long distance when the stag was totally exhausted it stopped thinking now it's safe the fawn was surprised he told what made you run such just now you were so confident about your strength what made you so much scared and then the stag replies i don't know what happens to my confidence when i hear the barking of a dog so that's what happens as long we are doing vichara we are just intellectually trying to cogitate the fact without going to the realization we think that we are spiritually strong but when the challenges of life come we find we are overwhelmed nothing helps so the only factor that decides our spiritual strength our equanimity is realization so without realization there cannot be in any way eradication of that ignorance so thus so now sri ramakrishna is continuing thus brahman and shakti are identical if you accept the one you must accept the other it is like fire and its power to burn if you see the fire you must recognize its power to burn also you cannot think of fire without its power to burn nor can you think of the power to burn without fire you cannot conceive of the sun's rays without the sun nor can you conceive of the sun without its rays the idea is the projected can never be separated from the projection as long as the snake is the rope is when you are deluded you are seeing the snake as the rope in no way you can separate the snake and the rope as long as the snake is the rope is as long as the mirage is the desert is though the snake in no way can affect the rope the snake the snake can in no way inflict poison in the rope the rope transcends the snake but they coexist 
the desert transcend the mirage that huge reservoir which i see doesn't have the capacity even to drench a single sand particle so the desert transcends the mirage mirage but they coexist as long as i see the mirage the desert is you cannot separate them so this maya shakti and brahman can never be separated the projector and the projection can never be separated there is a way i can never separate myself from my shadow wherever my shadow is i am so that's the idea which sri ramakrishna is saying that brahman and shakti are identical if you accept the one you must accept the other it is like fire and its power to burn if you see the fire you must recognize its power to burn also you cannot think of fire without its power to burn nor can you think of the power to burn without fire you cannot conceive of the sun's rays without the sun nor can you conceive of the sun without its rays the same idea he is just explaining with other examples also what is milk like oh you say it is something white you cannot think of the milk without the whiteness or again you cannot think of the whiteness without the milk so they are this sambandha this relation this one is related with the other you can no way just the way the shadow can be uh, you can never get rid of yourself from your shadow similarly the attributes because of the ignorance when the one who is beyond attributes finds expression through attributes you can never separate the attributes from the one who is beyond attributes so <clears throat> that's the idea with various examples sri ramakrishna is speaking of thus one cannot think of brahman without shakti or of shakti without brahman one cannot think of the absolute without the relative or of the relative without the absolute the primordial power is ever at play this idea introduces the elements of spontaneity and freedom in the creation she is creating preserving and destroying in play as it were this power is called kali kali is verily brahman and brahman is verily kali it is one and the same reality when we think of it as inactive that is to say not engaged in the acts of creation preservation and destruction then we call it brahman but when it engages in these activities then we call it kali or shakti the reality is one and the same the difference is in name and form so so when that you are not deluded you see the snake as snake you see the rope as rope so then there there is no question of this duality but when the moment the delusion comes into picture then the rope and the snake do coexist though i don't see the rope i see only the snake but they are existing coexisting though i don't see it and they never in my perceptions they never coexist when as long as i see the snake i don't see the rope the moment i see the rope i don't see the snake as long as i am aware of the snake i am not aware of the rope the moment again i become aware of the rope the snake has fallen so they do coexist but at the same time i can never be aware of both of them together 
So the power, the moment the expression, this creation finds expression, uh, uh, this absolute finds expression as the creation, this creation, the power, this energy, this Brahman finds expression as Shakti. And that Shakti, that power is being nomenclatured as Kali. To give a common example, that within the Brahman, the Shakti is inherent. For example, just take an iron bar. That in, in each and every iron bar has the potentiality to become a magnet. Why it is not a magnet? That because the innumerable mag magnetic dipoles by which this iron bar is constituted are all dis dispersed. So the north pole of one dipole is negating the because as they are in opposite, these are not all aligned. So the magnetic force of each one dipole is negating the magnetic force of another dipole. And hence the net result, net magnetic field is zero. Very interesting. As in the, Veda, in the Vedic society, we had the idea of Brahman. The Shakti is inherent in Brahman. That's why we discovered zero. This, the zero can be a digit. It was conceived by these rishis. Why? Because they had this idea of Brahman. Zero doesn't speak of nothingness. Zero speaks of balance. In the other dualistic religion, Abrahamic religions, they say God created from nothing. But in Vedanta, that's in contrast, they never say God created from nothing. That this creation was lying potentially within the creator. It is not from nothing. Just the way the spider from itself, in the Munda Kopanshit is there, Sri Ramakrishna will be giving that example. The spider uh, brings forth those cobweb from within itself. Similarly, from God the creation came. How it came? Just that, that again, we go back to that example of that iron bar. The magnet was inherent in it. But moment, somehow, if I can align all the magnetic dipoles in such a way that the north poles are in one direction and the south pole is in another direction, then that iron bar gets converted into a magnet. And magnet speaks of Shakti, power. It's a type of Shakti. So, the Brahman finds expression as Shakti. So the Shakti was inherent. But as long as it is not finding expression, it is just lying as a potential. But the moment it is finding expression, it finds expression as that Shakti, as a power. And that power is not chaotic. It follows certain rhythm. That's why we say that if you throw some iron filings across that magnet which has been created from that iron bar, it will follow a particular pattern because the Shakti is not chaotic. As it is not chaotic, that's why the creation is possible. Because Brahman when finds expression as Shakti, it always finds expression in a particular rhythm, as laws. That has been called as rhythm in Sanskrit. Rhythm is truth. Why it is truth? Because you cannot break it. Laws are laws. So this Shakti finding expression as rhythm is the Kali. His work actually is the Brahman. This magnet is not something separate from 
the iron bar. It was hidden. Potentially it was lying in the iron bar. So similarly, the Kali is verily Brahman and Brahman is verily Kali. It is the one and the same reality. When we think of it as inactive, that is to say, not engaged in the acts of creation, preservation and destruction, then we call it Brahman. But when it engages in these activities, then we call it Kali or Shakti. The reality is one and the same. The difference is in name and form. That previously what I called uh, uh, it as an iron bar, that itself has got converted into magnet. It is just the differences in the name and the form. The previous, what is the form, the difference of the form? Previously, every this all the magnetic dipoles were scattered. So one was negating the other. So now they're all aligned. That's how the form has changed. And the name also has changed. The name and form, just with the gold ornament, I may have earrings, I may have necklace. The substance is gold. But as per the utility, as per its shape, I have given a name. I've just given something, the, the name as earrings, something as necklace. The difference is only in the name and in the form. The substance in essence is the same gold that has been spoken of in the Chandagya Upanishad. The With this clay, you make pots, so many different types of pots. As per its shape, as per its utility, some may be some we may call as tumbler, some we may call as plate. So this, this difference only in the name and form and its utility, but in essence, they are all the clay. So that's the idea which Sri Ramakrishna is also speaking of here. But the same Brahman finds expression as that primordial power. It is ever at play. As long as this creation is there, its expression is always there. She is creating, preserving, and destroying in play as it were. It's just spontaneous. In play, there is no purpose. If there was purpose, then this, the God becomes uh, as he bound. There is no purpose. If par all the purpose speaks of our uh, the, this limitation, that as I am limited, so I am to go beyond that limitations, I am doing something. The purpose speaks of that. God has no purpose. It is out of spontaneous, just like a small child. The expression of life, the expression of joy, how we find that expression? If you give him some clay, it will make an unmake, go on making so many things. It will make some wonderful things, some building, some entire city with that clay. And then again, it will break and again make something. Why is making and unmaking? Because he has no as such purpose for doing that. He's full of life, that life finds expression in the making and unmaking. So that's spontaneous. So as the joy finds expression through that spontaneous activity of making and unmaking, similarly here also, the primordial power is ever at play. It's creating, preserving, destroying as if like a play. It's, it has no purpose behind it. So that's the thing, Sri Ramakrishna. How nice we'll find that just Sri Ramakrishna speaking, the entire realization is being expired. He's not inspiration. It's not that he has read something and, and then that knowledge he's speaking, that something from outside came inside. 
inspiration speaks that that something which was not mine has been taken in has been has been accumulated by me so that's why we say in vedanta there is no inspiration there is expiration he has realized the thing and whatever he is speaking is coming from that realization and you will find it just tallies that vedas are true ramakrishna's words are true not because the vedas are true it is just the opposite a realized soul what he speaks is we find is written in the vedas and that proves that what is being written is not false it tallies with the realization just the way uh, swami vivekananda gives an example that if uh, how the medicines are patented that certain new research medicine works on me well but immediately i cannot sell it on the market i have to go through that experimentation at least uh, the sample has to be experimented on at least 100 patients on 100 cases and the results should be 99% then only i can say that it is something uh, which can be patented similarly with the spiritual realization what is written in the vedas what is the realization of ramakrishna is not something unique apart from the <clears throat> that others realization through ages various sages have went to that realization and all their realization tallies and that is being as if uh, <clears throat> what you say that recorded in this vedantic dictums and that proves the validity that it is not something unique sri ramakrishna speaking what is speaking you would find can be matched with the realization of each and every realized soul in the past in the present and whoever is going to become in the future it has bound to tally and that speaks of its validity and how spontaneously he is speaking of the truth he has not read any book all is coming out from his realization so it's his expression that way so with this we stop our discussion today we'll continue uh, with a remaining portion of sri ramakrishna's conversation with kesham again in the next class so with this we stop our discussion today thank you all namaskars